Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You better believe it. It's the week that was with Joe Palmisano on News Talk 1480 WHBC. I, uh, I want to continue this just for a couple more minutes, but Jim Acosta, I found this, I hope you find it as funny as me, but Jim Acosta from CNN was at the border this week with President Trump, and uh, this was a report he gave from at the border. And here are some of the steel slats that the president's been talking about uh, right here. Uh, as you can see, yes, you can see through these slats to the uh, other side of the U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, but as we're walking along here, we're not seeing any kind of uh, imminent danger. There are no migrants trying to uh, rush toward this fence uh, here in the McAllen, Texas area. As a matter of fact, there are some other businesses uh, behind me along this highway. There's a gas station, Burger King, and so on. Uh, but no sign of the national emergency that the president has been talking about. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's pretty tranquil down here. So, it's working. Sounds like it. <laughs> That's what I, when, when we played it earlier, I was like, wait, that means it's working. There's nobody rushing to try to get the border. Duh! That's the idea, Jim. Thank you so much for that report. I wonder, though, if there was a Taco Bell there instead of a Burger King, if people would be rushing for the border. <laughs> oh, that's terrible. You're going to get... <laughs> that was their... <laughs> no, that is terrible. That is wrong, dude. I uh... <laughs> That was their slogan, make a run towards the, toward the border. Oh, oh, I yeah, get it now. Thank get you. It I get it now. I, uh, I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> I was like, wait, what's wrong with that? I'm listening to that report, and I'm going, duh. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Maybe it's working. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Sam's been holding for a while. Sam, what's up? Hey, Joe. You know, uh, j- just listening to what you just said about this report from CNN, uh, you know, once again, truth has been sacrificed on the altar of political correctness, okay? And, you know, uh, one thing that kind of troubles me, and I, I rarely ever hear it brought up in any of the arguments, is that the laws that currently are in place, okay, that are responsible for regulating immigration in this country are passed by duly elected legislators yes. and by Congress. And I find it kind of curious that the very laws that are passed by duly elected legislators who are elected by the people of this country, including congressmen, okay, that the very congressmen who put these laws in effect are now in many cases advocating the fact that these laws should be either scrapped or more specifically in the case of Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi ignored. Yeah, and isn't it funny that you you heard President Clinton, I played that cut of President Clinton saying, look, we're we're a nation of immigration, but we're also a nation of laws. Exactly. Exactly. So what, what... and what is being said now is, we're a nation of immigrants. Let's ignore the laws. 
Well, Joe, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to one thing. I think the demographic suggests that Hispanics in general, those coming up out of uh, Mexico, Central America, even areas of South America, are, are going to be more friendly in terms of their political allegiance towards the Democratic Party. And even now, you know, there has been, you know, a tidal wave of sentiment, okay, for legislators who support, okay, the repeal of, of legis- you know, legislation that exists now that stop immigration or inhibit it anyway or, uh, you know, who, people who stand in the way of building a law. The bottom line is this is about attaining and then maintaining a block of power, okay, and I truly believe that the reason that so many Democrats and liberals are for this is that they understand that at the end of the day, the payoff will be in a larger block of political voters, okay, who are sympathetic, okay, uh, to their party. That's a great point. And I thank you for the call, too. Have a great day, Joe. You, too. Thank you. Thank you. All right, that was Sam, right? I'm sorry, Sam. I called him the wrong name. Um I want to switch gears real quick. Do we have we have to go to break first or what? No, you can go right into the interview. Um, I spoke with you know all the stuff going on with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I, I love this guy, Joe Schobert, middle linebacker for the Cleveland Browns, all pro last year. Uh, just a great player. He fought so many odds to get to this point. He fought against so many barriers to get to this point. And I was able to speak with Joe Schobert of the Cleveland Browns uh, this past week. Joe, before we get into questions about the Browns and your professional career thus far, I wanted to step back and let people know who you are, what you have overcome, and how you have gotten to the place you are today. You grew up in Waukesha, Wisconsin, right? Am I pronouncing that right? Yeah, it's good. A lot of people don't get it right the first time. Good. It's a small town, west of Milwaukee. It's, I guess it's about the size of Canton, Ohio. Your team at Waukesha West High School won the Division One state championship. Yeah. And you rushed for 296 yards on 38 carries in that game. Yeah. Uh, you obviously, you played both ways. You played safety, I believe. You played running back. But at the end of your years in Waukesha, at Waukesha West, you didn't have a scholarship anywhere, correct? Correct, yeah, no scholarships. And you were going to walk on at North Dakota. Yep. Wisconsin was really where you wanted to go, and apparently, from what I gather, you got a call like the day before you were going to leave to go to North Dakota to walk on from Brett Bielema at Wisconsin, giving you a preferred walk-on spot for the Wisconsin Badgers. Is that all true? Yeah, that's all correct. Now, then you go to Wisconsin, you were a walk-on, you were a scout team player your freshman year, voted scout team player of the year, probably an honor you really could have taken or not, but you were also put on scholarship your freshman year, right? Yeah, at, well, right before my sophomore year, after in camp, I got put on scholarship. And then you went on, obviously, in your career to make All-American, All-Big Ten, believe you received an award as the best linebacker in the country during that year, your senior year? Yeah, I think the Jack Lambert Award. Yes. And now you come out of that, Joe, and talk about that a little bit. How was the journey from walk-on to 
All-American, All-Big Ten, First Team All-Big Ten, Jack Lambert Award. How in the world did that all happen in, to you? Uh, I think just well, when I was in high school, it was a Wisconsin very under-recruited state. Um, so there wasn't very many people who got any one scholarships, even though I think there's pretty good talent um, in the state. And I think that's shown the last couple of years with more and more people coming out of it, um, going not to just college, but the NFL. And then, like you said, walked down Wisconsin. That was, I mean, a lot of a lot of guys have done that. So there's a kind of a blueprint going forward. Um, there's a J.J. Watts, Jared Everdell, people like that. Um, Jim Leonard, who was with the Browns for a little while, um, all went from walk-ons to All-Americans. So, I mean, I just knew if I went there, I did what I was supposed to do, trusted the process, everything would work out. And it did. Obviously. And then you come out and you're voted the best linebacker in the country. You're an All-American. You're all Big Ten. And yet you're the 12th linebacker chosen in the 2016 draft. You're selecting the fourth round. Was that expected? Um, I think it was around the range I was, from what I had heard going into the draft um, between like the third and fifth round. So I think ended up being smack dab in the middle. Uh, obviously, you hope to go higher. The higher you go, the better. It's going to be, but um, that was kind of the range I was expecting to go. And then you came in as a fourth rounder. Fourth, I, I don't know how how it works today, but mostly fourth rounders are considered guys that are. You start getting fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round. You start looking to that you're expendable to a certain extent. Am I right? Yeah, I think that's the kind of the range where it's, you're not really locked in. Um, like the organizations taking a chance, but it's not. Like you hear about guys who get cut, who get drafted in those rounds every year. So, I mean, they're just taking a flyer on you and hope it pays off. And when you look back at that, you, you've you kind of played, I mean, from high school to going to Wisconsin to then getting drafted in the fourth round, you've kind of had, you've had to prove yourself the entire way. How have you done that? I mean, what caused you to be able to overcome all these obstacles and all these naysayers to really become who you are today? I think it's a lot of it's self-belief in high school, no matter what sport I was playing, I was, even in youth sports, I mean, I had a really good group of friends, and we were all very good, well, very successful, won quite a few games in basketball, baseball, football, all over the place, and I think just kind of playing with them my whole life, going into high school, playing with unsuccessful teams with the same group of guys, and just kind of that influences just a, a self-belief in yourself, and you know you're good, and then by the end of high school, I was the best guy on the football team, one of the best guys on the basketball team. It's just like the self-confidence you build in yourself and the ability to just believe in yourself and know that if you do things the right way, trust your abilities um, and get lucky without getting hurt or injured, that things will pay off for you. And that's kind of the mindset I took in um, to college as a walk-on. Um, and that's the mindset I came in the NFL with. And everything so far has proven that I mean, when you set your mind to something, you believe in yourself, you got the ability, you'll be able to do it. Well, I remember your first year, your rookie year in the NFL. You came in, and all I kept hearing was, well, he's an undersized guy, he's an undersized guy, he's an undersized guy. Do you find it funny now that when you came into the league, people were saying you're an undersized middle linebacker? Now, everybody's looking for your type of guy. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of how the NFL's evolved, too. I wasn't really worried. It's funny, and now I'm like 20 pounds, 15 pounds less than I was when I came in as a rookie, so... I'm even more understanding, I guess, these days. But, um, yeah, just the way the NFL is going with the passing league, everybody wants linebackers to go sideline to sideline, can play in space, can play versus the passing game. Obviously, the run game is still important, but there's not a lot of teams that really 
try to run the ball down your throat too much anymore. So it's a passing league. The ball travels further and faster through the air, and if you can make plays on that, if you can get turnovers and takeaways and limit that, I mean, you're going to be in a good chance to win games. So I think the NFL is really trying to find guys like that. And I'm more in the mold of those guys than I am as a Brian Urlacher, Ray Lewis guys who have played in the the more run-heavy days. Yeah, and I don't know if, if they can even have those guys anymore in today's league. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a few guys, but yeah, I think the the speed element, the, the bigger and faster you get, the or the bigger you get, the, the slower you get usually. So there's more defensive ends. So the guys who are maybe played middle linebacker at 6'4", 250, uh, back in the day are now more defensive ends getting uh, after the passer because they're quick guys off the edge who can generate pressure and can get sacks. Uh, so it's kind of yeah, and even to the point of San Diego, or no, I keep calling him San Diego, the, the Chargers last week starting three safeties at linebacker against a pretty run-heavy Ravens team and, and having a lot of success doing it. I was kind of shocked at that. Yeah, I just think I mean, it's hard for offensive linemen to get off of the ball and go track down some smaller, quicker guys for safety. Obviously, if they get their hands on them, they're going to do fine, but it's a lot harder for them to change directions and make plays on guys like that than it is to get slower, bigger guys who are going to come down and hit you. I'm loving what's happening right now and how you're playing. I wanted to look at today, Joe, and I have to ask this question. What happened in the locker room and on the field after the transition of the coaching staff, it, it you guys just had a different feel, almost like you were playing more free, you were playing more loose, you were play, you seemed to be having more fun. What happened? Yeah, well, I can't speak uh, directly towards what the offensive guys were going through a meeting and stuff because I wasn't sitting in there. But it just seems like, um, from what I've experienced, that there's just a little bit more freedom, a little more um, input that they had into the game plan, and a little bit more understanding on more of an eye-to-eye level instead of just being told what to do and then going out practicing it and trying to execute it on game day. So I think that definitely helped the offense. And then from overall, I mean, when Greg stepped up as the interim head coach, I mean, he, the, one of the best things he does is he's a very good speaker. He's very good at holding uh, young men's attention with his in his meetings and getting everybody on the same page. So it's a just what, right when he came in, um, he was a very good guy to just have at the head to kind of get everybody on the same page, to shock people into focus, um, and to get everybody pulling towards the same goal. Um, so I think that just a combination of both those things just really helped the whole team refocus and be re-energized and kind of go on that run. What were your emotions? What were the thoughts going through your head when you heard that Freddie Kitchens was going to be hired as the head coach? Yeah, I think um, it's very interesting. He's a great guy. He's a, obviously did a great job this year. Um, his rise from where he was to being a head coach for the Browns is a great story. And I think a lot of people are enthralled with his story going back just to the stuff that he's been through in his life. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how he is in the head coaching role this year. Um, but I expect things to keep going up and up, kind of keep some of this momentum going that we've built. You could tell me, since we're taping this, you could tell me to go jump in a lake anytime you want. But <laughs> No problem. But I, I want to ask you, were, were you disappointed that Greg Williams – was not named head coach? Uh, I wouldn't say disappointed. Obviously, he did a great job for our team. Um, that's just the way the NFL is in the business. But, I mean, I always obviously have a lot of uh, good feeling towards Greg because he's a defensive coordinator, um, and I, I've been a linebacker in that scheme for the last two years, and I feel like we've done a lot of good things. But you can't really get too emotionally caught up in the NFL because it's a business, and no matter what, no matter who you like or what you like or 
how you like things to be done. I mean, it's, you really have no power or say in it. So, I mean, the kind of guy I am, I'm just trying to keep my head down, keep working no matter who's the coach. I'm sure whoever comes in next is going to be just a good guy, good coach. Got to find a way to work well under their system, and I think that's the biggest key. So, I mean, obviously sad to see Greg go, and I wish him the best wherever he's going to be. Um, there's a lot of good things that we did over the last two years, and I have a lot of memories, a lot of good memories uh, of that. But at the end of the day, it's a business, and you really can't get caught up too much in it. Otherwise, it'll affect your play in the field, and you'll be the next guy going. Yeah. That's so true. And and I'll tell you what, he exited very classy with the letter he wrote to the fans, to the people of Cleveland. I thought it was a great move on his part. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that's the thing about Greg. A lot of people read things in the media or see things about him that they really don't understand, especially going back to that Bounty Gate stuff in New Orleans back in the day. People just draw conclusions about who he must be or how he acts or his personality. And it's really like – not he's the the letter that he penned to Cleveland is really the the true kind of character that he is. It's not the bounty gate stuff, um, but people just really don't see that side of him and form opinions. And I mean, it's hard to change people's mind when they form an opinion. So hopefully, people realize the the kind of guy he is from that letter. And I mean, he's going to do good things going forward wherever he's going. Uh, do you get caught up now because you said you know I just keep my head down and I just keep working. But there has to be some communication going on between you and your teammates on the defensive side of the ball as to who you want to come in as defensive coordinator, who may come in as defensive coordinator. But is there an anxiousness, a little concern that you that you guys all have right now as to who's coming in to coordinate the defense? Um, uh, maybe a little bit of anxiousness. I mean, maybe some other guys more so than me, but I'm pretty confident in my abilities to kind of fit in wherever they're going to be asked. So it's going to be interesting. I'll figure it out. Um, well, I mean, as I honestly have no clue, like what names are out there or anything at this point. So I guess we'll have to just wait and see. And then I'm sure some guys are a little more anxious than others. But for me, I mean, oh, once you get down schematics in the NFL, everything. I mean, there might be different verbiage or language, but it's all really the same thing. So it's just going to be uh, getting that stuff ready, getting ready to to play for it. And I'm pretty sure I'll be uh, good doing it. So I, I think we just kind of have to play the waiting game right now. Yeah. I want to close it out by just asking you, what do you see? You've talked you talk to your teammates. You have goals and things like that. But it seems like we're right on the cusp. It seems like the Browns are the, – the team has, has taken giant steps, have learned to win. And I think that's the big part of it, don't you, Joe, that you we, – we're always so close. You were so close. And then all of a sudden this year you're able to kind of push it over a little bit and start winning games and start beating people. That's the first step, isn't it? Now what's the next? Yeah, I definitely think uh, just got to keep building on the foundation. Um, I mean, we were, what, two games away from going to the playoffs, and there was definitely two games on our uh, on our schedule that could have gone either way for a coin flip, um, but – we weren't able to do it this year, so I think just to keep building on that, the next step obviously would to become a playoff team, get the win the AFC North. Um, I mean, I think a lot of guys on the team have seen and believe in in ourselves and that we can do it. Um, so everybody's got to go to work this off season and come back uh, just a, a little bit better next year, and I think we'll be able to accomplish it. What do you do now? You you take a, a month or so off, relax, or do you jump right back in and start working out? I mean, I jump right back in, but I don't jump in full go uh 
uh, going all out. I just give the body a little time to recover, but I feel like I always need to keep moving, keep working a little bit. Otherwise, I'll fall too far off the wagon. So I'm I'm always working out a little bit. Um, but I take probably a couple of weeks before we'll jump back into serious training. Well, Joe, I wish you the best. You've done an amazing job. Your story is is a great one, and it's one that uh, should inspire a lot of young men out there. And I just wish you the best going forward. You're a good man, and you're a great player. And I I wish you the best, and I thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I I thank you, and have a good off season, and uh, we'll see you back here soon. Sounds good. Take have care. Take care, Joe. You'll be excited to hear it all. It's the week that was with Joe Palmisano on News Talk 1480 WHBC. As a honeybee and like a honeybee stings. I um I've got an idea. President Obama or President Obama, President Trump wants a wall on the southern border. Um but instead of doing that, Samsung has developed a 219-inch TV, 18 feet of TV. Now, I love big screen TVs. I've got a 70-inch, a 90-inch. Um, I love them. Um I'm, I'm a, I'm, but here's a deal. This probably costs about, I would say, up $10,000. Let's put a bunch of these on the Mexican U.S. border, facing back towards Mexico. And then when people come to get in, they'll be enthralled by the televisions and the shows and put different, it'll be like a sports bar. (laughs) Serve drinks and food and people won't want to cross over. They'll just stay and watch the TVs. Especially if you show them some really bad TV shows. I agree. I agree. This is what you have to look forward to. (laughs) Forget it. Going back. Uh, I Love Lucy. That was a good show. That was a good show. But that's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. 219 inches, 18 feet long. Wow. You know, Scott's called a couple times. And so I I have to get this guy on. Scott, how are you? I'm doing well, Joe. How are you? I'm well. Hey, I wanted to talk about the uh, Louisville head coaching job here. You can. Good. Um, I'm a, a Louisville native. I played for... Um, for Louisville, born and raised, mm-hmm. and still reside here in Louisville. But uh, I just wanted to kind of call and vent a little bit. Um, you know, Troy Davis, I'm telling you right now, he is the right guy for this position, hands down. Mm-hmm. I agree. He, <clears throat> Troy is uh, he's a winner. He's a winner, period. He's a winner in his profession. He's a winner in his uh, community, and his, he's been a winner on the field. So, so thing, what is wrong with the people in Louisville that they don't see that? Well, so, you know, I have some information relative to Ooh, spill uh, it. The, 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 the situation here. Okay. And, and it's kind of interesting. So I've uh, been told 
that their top two choices have bailed on this position. Have bailed? Have bailed. They've offered it to to two people, and those two two guys have have declined. So I'm thinking, you know, in my head, like, what's going on here? But it's all kind of making sense to me now. Um, So when you go into a situation where, you know, you're sitting down in front of a committee and they're interviewing you, you're not only, they're not only interviewing you, right, but you're interviewing them. Right. So I believe that these these candidates that, that came in probably thought to themselves after, you know, they got out of these discussions that maybe this isn't the right committee that I I want to work for. Hmm. I just find it hard to believe that with the tradition and the success that this team's had, that they are scraping the bottom of the barrel. To find to find the right guy, it, well, the right guy was right in front of their face. Uh, bingo. I, I Scott, would you agree with me that Louisville is a very unique situation? Oh, wholeheartedly. Yeah, I sure. mean, you, you, the, the, everything about it, um, everything about the football program, uh, is is unique because of the past tradition, uh, the community, the going after the kids and getting the kids to come and play. But there's always been this feeling at Louisville, to me, that it's a very loyal, close community. And the idea that you would shun a person who's been there 24 years and given given his entire adult life and his coaching career to the to the community who has been a great teacher a mentor all those things in Louisville gets pushed aside makes me wonder who's running things there well i think this is a direct reflection of the leadership that we have in there right now to be honest with you like you said, you have a guy, 24 years, gave his heart and soul to the community, to the school, you know, and to this team. And for them to more or less just push that to the side, like that doesn't matter. I just, I don't, I don't understand it. No, and and that's why it is completely um, transformed how I feel. Not about the people of Louisville. But about the leadership of Louisville at this point, and Louisville City Schools, and everyone. You know, I, I if someone were to call me were to recommend someone for a job at my company, I would at least call that person back and say, thank you for your call. Sure. And thank you for your concern. I have been complete, and, and not that I deserve anything more than anyone. I'm talking about anybody should get this. I think I deserve at least an acknowledgement that I cared enough about Louisville to drive down there and walk into the school board offices because they wouldn't return my phone calls or at least even acknowledge that they had received my phone calls. Really? Really? Yeah. What is going on? That's not the Louisville I know. 
I think that goes to show some of the arrogance that I, I believe this this committee has, um, and knowing that two of their top two choices uh, declined. Um, I, I I just hope this doesn't backfire. I just hope it, it will. Not. Uh, look who's won at Louisville, and I got to go. But look who's won at Louisville. Three Louisville natives have won at Louisville. No one else has has accomplished anything close to what Starkey, Chrislip, and Farah did. That that should be a that's a like a duh. Come on. Yeah, that's I mean Louisville, again, you know, Troy grew up in the community. He's born and raised here. Um he understands the tradition. Uh you know, he's a great, great coach, great guy. I just don't understand well, how they can just move on from him. Well, it's time for you people. Capacity, it's time so. for the for the good people of Louisville to gather up and march. Seriously, march to the Board of Education offices Monday and say enough's enough. Enough's enough. You're not going to turn your back on one of ours. That's, that's a that, good idea. That's what I would suggest. I got to go. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thank you so much. Yep, we'll see you. Have a great one. All right. I just started a rally. We'll see. Stay tuned. We'll continue right after this. Because getting there is half the fun. Traffic in the morning and when it trends. Coverage like nowhere else. This is WHBC. Get your phone fingers ready. It's contest time. You thought I forgot. I almost did. Thanks to Sean. All right. Wait, thanks to me because you almost forgot or thanks to you that you remembered? No, thanks to you that, that I almost forgot. And I wouldn't have known until you told me. You can win right now a pair of tickets to see the Harlem Globetrotters. Oh, look at these. Look at these lights. Harlem Globetrotters at the Canton Civic Center, January 31st. I'm going to go to caller number three. What's your name, please? This is Grace, Joe. Grace, how are you? I'm good. Good. Here you go. You ready? I'm trying. Yeah. Okay, here you go. What quarterback led the Browns to three AFC championship games during the 1980s? Bernie Kosar. Yes. Which Browns player was voted to the Pro Bowl every year that he played? Jim Brown. Yes. Who scored the Cleveland Browns' very first touchdown ever? Oh, my. Max Speedy. Max Speedo. Oh, Speedo. No, it's Speedy. Okay. It's Max Speedy. By the way, today... Thanks to Sean's great research, we learned that today is Mac Speedy's birthday. Oh, how old is he? Oh, well, he's not alive anymore. Oh, okay. But this is his birthday. <laughs> he would be 99. He oh. would be 99. He died in 1993? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. But today's his birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday. I wonder if he was Speedy. <laughs> I hope so. Well, yeah, I think he probably was, since he scored the first points. Uh, 19-yard touchdown pass from quarterback Cliff Lewis. You remember him? Mm, no. I didn't think so. 
I didn't either. <laughs> anyway, you won, and you won a pair of tickets to see the Harlem Globetrotters at the Canton Civic Center on January 31st, and congratulations. You have a wonderful week. Are you going to the... No. Oh, no, it's birthday. my birthday. Oh, you have a big party. Okay. I won't have a big party. <laughs> I don't have big parties. How old will you be, Joe? I'm not telling. Oh, okay. All righty. No, I'll be 66 years old. I was oh. going to ask if you played with Max Speedy. I played. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I could have. No, actually, that was before my time. <laughs> it makes me feel young. Hey, you know, I don't mind saying that. That was bold of you to ask me how old I was, but I don't care. Well, I'm, I'm old- very proud of that. Well, I, I'm older than you, so I'm proud of that, too. Well, good for you. <laughs> good for you. I wouldn't have grown up in a different time. Yes. I loved when I grew up. Yes. And I'm going to put you on hold. Okay. Uh, Sean is going to take all your information. All right. And uh, have fun. All right. Have a good week, Joe. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. What words do you want to see gone, by the way? Words? Yeah, in 2019. Moist. I I hate the word wheelhouse. And I use it. I use it. I talk to, like, if I go on uh, talking to CEOs of hospitals or something, and I'll say, well, that's in our wheelhouse. And then I realize how stupid that sounds. Wrap my head around. Wrap my, how do you wrap your head around anything? (laughs) Wrap my, I'm going to wrap my head around that. Here's another one that I hate, that I wish would leave. Otis. Not Otis the elevator. Not Otis the guy who was in the jail in Mayberry all the time. But POTUS, FLOTUS, SCOTUS. What the heck? Here's another one. Optics. We got to present good optics. Good optics. Thought leader. Sean, you're a thought leader in here. What's a thought leader? You're, you lead thoughts. You're the thought leader. And you provide great thoughts that have good optics and things I can wrap my head around and, and are in my wheelhouse. <laughs> I want to thank uh, Joe Schobert from Cleveland Browns for his interview. I want to thank Tim Street for coming on and putting up with me. Uh, I want to thank Sean for producing this show, being kind of my partner in this as he continues and uh, <laughs> and I want to thank J. David Rest for the latest in the news this morning. I want to thank you most of all for tuning in, being part of the show. Make something great happen this week, folks. I'll talk to you next Saturday.